of all the people that we look at in the Advent story, uh, those that are in the New Testament, I think John the Baptist has got to be the most intriguing, almost captivating. He was completely out of the box when it came to his personality and his character. He was rough around the edges. Um, He was confrontational, uncouth in appearance, um, but fiercely tenacious in purpose, afraid of no one, and not even King Herod and his wife, which eventually cost him his life. But through it all, John lived, he lived with one purpose in mind, one purpose. That's what he gave himself to his whole life. I don't know at what age John became aware of the call of God. His father and mother certainly knew the call of God on John's life. They knew um, even before he was conceived. (laughs) An angel had appeared to Zechariah while he was doing priestly duty. But at some point, John became aware that God had called him to do a, a task that was of critical importance. It was so important. And John gave himself fully to it. He was unswayed. He had one purpose, and that was to prepare the way for the Messiah, shining the light on Jesus, his cousin, believe it or not, but the one that John would call the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The thing that stands out to me about John the Baptist was his full submission to God and to the one who's appearing he lived and died to illuminate. John said he must increase and I must decrease. John knew his place in the kingdom. He was the forerunner of the Messiah and like Jesus John had been prophesied about. He had been promised 400 years before he was born. He was the one that was to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Here's how Mark, in his gospel writing, wrote about John. Mark 1, verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. You will prepare Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins And now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John, this amazing, intriguing, fashion-trendy person 
who had the most interesting diet, and I think a vegan diet is strange. This man ate grasshoppers and honey. He had one message. He lived one message, and that message was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I wonder how many people today would receive John and his message if he showed up on the Chattahoochee, uh, baptizing people, dressed as he did, eating what he ate. I wonder what would be drawn to him, probably not the ones we would want to be associated with. We would think he would be a little crazy, a little off his rocker. I don't know that the world would receive his message, much less receive how he's peered or where he was. I know that our world, our postmodern world, is not really convinced that repentance is a necessary thing. Our world is much more comfortable rationalizing its sin, explaining it away, or self-medicating to dull its effect, or blaming it on others, or wearing it around as a badge of honor. And when we do repent, it's often only an expression of sadness, sorrow that, well, I'm sorry for what I've done. Of course, lamenting over sin is not a bad thing. That is a biblical thing. It is a part of repentance, but it is not the whole of repentance. Feeling bad about what you've done is not the full picture of repentance. It goes way beyond feelings. It goes way beyond sadness. True repentance is a change of heart and a change of direction that results in a change of behavior. It is a change. It's where we are altered We are reformed, where we do things differently, see things differently, not just feel about them differently, but we actually have behaviors that result from that which has changed in our lives. Tim Keller says that true repentance begins where whitewashing, blame-shifting, self-pity, and self-flagellation end. And by whitewashing, he means nothing really happened. And by blame shifting, he means it wasn't really my fault. And by self-pity, he means I'm sorry because of what it has cost me. And by self-flagellation, it means I will feel so terrible that no one else will be able to criticize me. These are the things that humanity is lent towards, is prone towards. Whitewashing, blame shifting, self-pity, self-flagellation. Outward displays of remorse aren't enough. And oftentimes, they are emphasized to the point that nothing inside has ever been touched or changed. And we have to be careful that our outward signs of repentance don't get in the way of a true heart of repentance. God wants our hearts to change, our attitudes to change, our actions and behaviors to change. Our repentance can't merely be a demonstration of sorrow. It must reveal, as as Monica said, what David wrote about in Psalm 51 
when he said the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. True repentance isn't whitewashing or blame shifting or feeling sorry for yourself or punishing yourself overtly. It's amending your ways. It's reforming your choices and actions. It's listening to God's voice afresh and in a way that brings you closer to him and further from that which you had been doing. It's a broken and a contrite heart. It's life that he provides for us when we approach him this way. It's not religion or moralism. It is true life. Perhaps the editors of the Amplified Version, which is obviously what it is, an Amplified Version, but perhaps they do as good a job of describing true repentance as anyone when they're describing this very John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verse 1. They interpret it this way. In those days, John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the wilderness of Judea along the western side of the Dead Sea and saying, repent, which means change your inner self. Your old way of thinking, regret past sins, live your life in a way that proves repentance. Seek God's purpose for your life, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we have to admit that true repentance is so much more than feelings. Feeling bad, feeling sorry, feeling shame. It can be a feeling that leads you to a place of change, but it can't stay a feeling because change is required. A complete change in how we do life and which direction we're headed. But there's one more thing about repentance we need to realize, and that is that it's more than just a one-time occurrence. We are constantly returning to him. Repenting is not just the way into salvation. It is the way of salvation. It, it's not just a means to life. It's the pattern for living. I went back and looked in preparing this message at the last two or three years, actually just about two years of messages that I have shared. I, I get the honor and privilege of sharing virtually every Sunday here, not everyone, but most of them. I say a lot of words. And I've spoken over the last few years and I started counting the times <clears throat> that I spoke about God's appeal for his people to repent and return to him. And so I did a little search in all my different documents that I have on my computer. <clears throat> and I realized I'm more like John the Baptist than I thought I was. I seem to be a one sermon preacher. Apparently, the message that I have, I mean, I got up to 50 plus times in the last 18 or 20 months of talking about repentance and what God requires, and I'm good with it. If John the Baptist could be a one-sermon preacher, then Chris can be too. Repentance is not just a nice thing we hear in church. Repentance is a lifestyle that we must enter into. 
And it is a constant appeal that God is always saying to each of us, come back to me, return to me. You've drifted, you've wandered off, you've done things that are not helpful to you. Come back, come back and return. This is his appeal to us. I've mentioned this quote by J.I. Packer before, but it bears repeating. He says, repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin, to give as much as you know of yourself, to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. I love that phrase, our practice of repentance. And he says it, it's got to get bigger. We have to allow those three things, the awareness of our sin and of ourselves and of our God to have a larger capacity to live a life of constantly returning. I appreciated what Alfredo said in the, the video earlier. He, he said, we often have an attitude of self-reliance. Especially after we've come to a salvation experience, we think, thank you, Lord, for the very thing that I couldn't do, but I'll take it from here. I got it. I'm sure that you've made me capable of doing what is necessary so I can handle it. Thank you, but I'll handle it from here. But Alfredo said, it's not true. He says, we think we can fix it ourselves. Rather than coming to the Father, we say to him, just give me some more time and I'll figure it out. I just, I just wonder what God, I wonder, uh, actually for all you young people too, because I realize, yeah, he, he's giggling probably a little. You really think you got it? Okay, let's see how you do. Oh, you failed again? I wonder why. Alfredo helped us see that it's a path that leads us away from God, even though we're in God. Isn't that a shame? That as though we have received Christ Jesus and he has saved us, something we could not do ourselves, somehow we think we can walk his way without him. Following Jesus is a lifelong journey that repents ends. And it's not just feeling ashamed about what we did And it's not just something we think others should do because, well, we repented. If they would just repent, then maybe they they won't burn. But actually, repentance is God's gift to us. It is his gift to you and to me to turn back to him, to be those who are repenting long before we tell the world they need to. It's his invitation into an intimate fellowship with him. And it's growing continually. It's a doorway back into his presence. So here's what I'm asking of us during this Advent season. And I appreciate all the children being so patient and so good today. And you adults, you're doing okay. Kids are great. But here's what I'm asking you to do in this season of Advent. Because if you just come and listen to these messages on repentance or see some candles lit or sing some nice songs and nothing changes in here, then this is not worth it. Go do something else. We have to be honest with God and allow him to hit our hearts in ways that change us 
that we repent and turn back towards him. As we journey towards the moment when we will celebrate the birth of Christ, let's repent of the sin in our lives. Let's take inventory. Let's really examine our hearts, those things big and small that keep us from intimate fellowship with the Father, that keep us from life full in the Spirit, that keep us from having Christ fully dwelling in our hearts through faith. Let us repent of our our self-centeredness and our self-protection and our self-importance and our self-promotion and our self, all of which pushes Christ and his kingdom down the list of priorities because we're too busy at being at the top. We can't let him be where he needs to be and should be. Let us repent of worshiping our own idols of comfort and moralism and greed and power. Let us repent of our all-consuming dedication to the shallow, temporary things of this world and of our casual attitude towards Jesus, like he's an add-on rather than the whole. Let us let his claim be in our lives, be complete. And let us start by examining our own hearts, or better, Let's let him examine our hearts. Like David said in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Acknowledge and confront those grievous ways that God exposes to us. Maybe it's an unhealthy attitude. Maybe it's anxious thoughts or fear that's unreasonable. Maybe it's unhealthy behavior like judging people or lusting after things that you don't have or gossiping about other people. Or maybe it's just unhealthy relationships or a lifestyle that is not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Let's consider what God has to say with respect to where our hearts are. And then As you've heard me speak this verse before, and it's been resonating with me for months now. Let's let's respond to the Lord the way God told Jeremiah to respond to him. In Jeremiah 15, 19, again from the Amplified. Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you repent and give up this mistaken attitude of despair and self-pity, then I will restore you to a state of inner peace so that you may stand before me as my obedient representative. And if you separate the precious from the worthless, examining yourself and cleansing your heart from unwarranted doubt concerning my faithfulness, then you will become my spokesman. Let's give up our mistaken attitudes of despair and self-pity. Let's cleanse our hearts of unwarranted doubt concerning whether he's faithful or not. He is faithful. And when we doubt it, that's sin. He is good. And when we question it, that's sin. He is in charge. And when we think we are, that is sin. Let's repent and return to him because the word is so clear that if we repent, he will restore and we will become 
Let's be a community during this season and beyond where we have an enlarged practice of repentance, living lives of repentance, where we turn from as much as we know of our sin to give as much as we know of ourselves to as much as we know of our God. Amen. This morning, we're going to gather at the table, the table that the Lord established. I'm going to ask those couples that are here to serve the elements to come and get the trays of bread and wine, and they'll be stationed here in four stations in front of the church. We're going to do this in family style. We like to do it this way. We've not been able to for a while. So if you're here as a single or just maybe you don't know anyone, be open to others inviting you to come join with them. Gathering with four to six, eight, ten, however many the circle may hold. Come to the table that the Lord has prepared for us. At that place, these couples will give you the bread and they will give you the cup and you'll receive and they'll say a quick prayer. But if you're in need of ministry beyond this, then over here on this side, there will be a prayer team that are there to join with you. And they will help you as you are uh, needing more further prayer. And so that will be over on the far side. Uh, Roger and Ray will be over there praying. So Donna's gonna share and pray for the bread. I'm gonna pray for the cup and then we'll come to the table. Father, we thank you for the power of repentance. Even the ability to do it comes because you've already worked on our behalf. You've turned hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that can be moved, that can be changed. When you cleanse us, Lord, we're clean. And when we take communion today, the act of coming to your table means, one, we agree with you that you have the right to review us. And two, we are coming in an act of repentance to say we need to eat of you and drink of you and be changed. Communion is where it happens, where we lay down our rights to ourselves and we receive all that it means to be subject to your rule. We bow our knee when we take the bread and the wine. We confess and repent, believing and receiving your faithfulness, your mercy, your forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And all of it isn't spent just on ourselves. It's so that we can teach transgressors your way. So we can share the good news that we have also benefited from. Father, I ask that when we take communion today, that we would truly repent. That you would do as you have promised and offer forgiveness and restoration. And that in responding to that, we would be compelled to tell the gospel.
with our very lives, that having amended our ways, we would be faithful witnesses, telling of your goodness and the wonders of repentance and reconciliation. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father. We come now to your table, Lord, the table that you established. We receive the bread because it is the body of Christ. And we receive the cup because it is the cup of the new covenant, which is the blood of Jesus that has been shed for us for the remission of our sins. And so as we come and gather as your children, as your family, as your people, we remember you. We declare Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. In your name we pray.